Oh, yeah. Let's get this party started up in here. Whoop, whoop. Hey, this is Mark. You're listening to this show probably on your mobile device, whether it's iOS or Android or even Windows Mobile. <laughs> Who has one of those? Uh, but anyway, you're probably listening, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or some other wonderful mobile app that brings this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. Yeah. But did you also know that you can find this show, among several others in this category, at the Tangent Bound Network? That's right. Go visit TangentBoundNetwork.com. Check it out where you can always get the latest episode of this and other shows quite like it. Although, admittedly, there is no show quite like this one. Sword of Omens, come to my hand. I, Lionel, command it. I also command that you keep listening to Adrian Has Issues. Hello and welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian. Usually by now I'd start the show in my normal fashion, I'd do a little intro to our guests, and then we get things rolling. But if you haven't figured it out by now, this is actually something of a pre-recorded introduction that I felt was a little necessary for this one. One of the things I love doing about this podcast is sort of the organic nature of it all. Sometimes it's easier to kind of get into a rhythm, you know, you do your intro, you talk to your guest, and then so on and so forth. But every so often, I personally like to switch things up, do it a little bit differently, and just try to make it fun because you never want to get stuck in a place where it's like routine, you're doing the same thing over and over again. And and it's no fun for anybody, and I know my listeners as well as my guests, no one really deserves that. So every so often, I like to do things just a little out of left field. So with that said, this episode is less of an interview as it is more or less just a conversation with a friend of mine. In between podcasting and playing PlayStation 4 way too much, um, I'm a part of a group that we refer to ourselves as Comics Twitter. If any of you guys are listening, shout out to the Bryans, Julie, Rebecca, Jax, uh, you guys are pretty awesome. And the other member of the group is today's guest, uh, Aiden Wilson. Aiden's a really cool guy. Canadian at that. Imagine that. Canadians being really awesome. <laughs> you guys are great. Back in September, I had Aiden on the show. We recorded an episode where we reviewed the infamous Frank Miller graphic novel, Holy Terror, which for those of you who don't know, Holy Terror was originally called Holy Terror Batman, which is a play on Burt Ward's classic line, you know, holy, you know, so-and-so Batman. But in this book, Frank Miller intended the story to be about Batman battling, I believe it was Al-Qaeda, if I'm not mistaken. And if you've never read the book, it is batshit insane. A little racist at times. Um, Not even sometimes, like very racist at times. Obviously, DC was like, no, no thanks, we cannot put this out. But that didn't deter Frank Miller from releasing the book anyway. So instead of it being Batman, he refashioned some of the leads, like instead of Batman, it was the Fixer, and I guess Catwoman or the Catwoman Fix Emily, she um, renamed Natalie Stack. 
and I forget what Commissioner Gordon's replacement was named, but basically, if you've ever read the book, you look at the guy, it's clearly Commissioner Gordon. But the book itself is about <laughs> the superhero, the fixer, and Natalie Stack battling terrorists in the city that's clearly not Gotham City. <laughs> I'm laughing because every time I think about this book and every time I think about the story, it's kind of like one of those things like, how did this get made? Like, how did this even come about? So we have spent a good like hour and a half talking about how great I shouldn't say great, but it was just like how almost like it was almost kind of sad, really. It's sad because Frank Miller being an iconic comic book creator and writer and artist responsible for some great works is The Dark Knight Returns, um, a great run on Daredevil, so on and so forth. Reading that stuff in comparison to this, it was it was funny in a sense that like, where did this all come from? So we did a little digging and. We started to talk about a lot of the influence and the the backstory behind the book itself and kind of did a little psychoanalyzing of Frank Miller, who these days seems a little more, I don't want to say unhinged, but he's definitely a little angrier than he used to be. Or maybe he always was that way and I just never noticed it. It was a pretty fun episode. We had a lot of laughs at the expense of this book. And also reading, you know, some of his articles, especially his piece where he's very vocal about why he hates the Occupy movement and things of that nature. The episode was recorded. I go to try to edit it and it got corrupted. It's one thing that sucks with the podcast is recording a great episode only to find out that the audio is unusable. So unfortunately, that episode never got posted. However... We decided to go at it again, but instead of reviewing Holy Terror again, we decided to discuss the first two issues of the new Dark Knight Returns entry, which is Dark Knight 3, The Master Race. So with that filter of the Frank Miller Holy Terror, and at least of his current mindset, uh, for lack of a better term, we were kind of worried because knowing how Frank Miller feels about certain things and then naming a Batman book The Master Race... We were almost kind of afraid because we did not we weren't sure if we would like the book. We weren't sure of what it would be like. But we're like, you know what? Let's let's just go ahead. Let's just read like the first two issues and let's discuss it. Which we did and which is what you'll be hearing in a couple of minutes. For the next hour or so, Aiden and I discuss uh what we liked, what we disliked. And some of the, the more interesting moments of the book. And it was a fun discussion. And part of me really wishes that the Holy Terror stuff had stayed because I think that was really good too. So with all that said, this one isn't exactly your traditional interview per se. So hopefully you enjoy it. And hopefully you guys continue to enjoy the, the show in general. Just a bit of fair warning. Skype isn't exactly the most foolproof system, and I do my best with making sure that all of my episodes sound as best as possible, but I don't know, between our connections and the fact is it's a little long distance. I mean, he is technically in another country. The audio quality isn't necessarily all that great. Like, you'll hear a little distortion here and there throughout the show, so I apologize if it may be a little difficult to listen to, but I did my best to clean up the audio, so just do know that you will hear a little bit of ticks in the audio here and there. So, again, I apologize for that, but that is the nature of recording over Skype with, you know, various connections. Before I go, I just want to say thank you guys for checking out the show, and thank you so much for all of your continuous support. I couldn't do what I do without you guys listening and sharing and reposting, and so thank you so much for that.
If you are on iTunes, please feel free to subscribe, to rate and review the show. And, you know, like, I definitely would hope that you guys do five-star reviews. But you know what? I'm just going to say, be honest. Be constructive. You know, don't be a complete jerk about it. Don't be like, I hope you die one star. (laughs) Nothing like crazy. But be honest. Let me know what you guys feel about the show. Is there things that you want to hear more of or things you want to hear less of? That feedback is what I use to then tool the show and to make it, you know, as enjoyable as possible. So please feel free to do that. I would greatly appreciate it. And for now, we're going to get right into the conversation. So without further ado, here is my chat with Aiden Wilson about Dark Knight 3, The Master Race. I guess we should probably start by prefacing a little bit. You and I had chatted, this is going back a couple of months ago. It was definitely the summer, so it's like half a year. (laughs) Back in 2015. I was so embarrassed because like the audio got like really distorted at places and a lot had to get cut out. And to the point where it was like literally cut in half and like, I can't release an episode like this. And I, I don't think it'd reflect very well on either of us. But I remember in the episode, we were talking about um what's the book holy terror that frank miller did which is um (laughs) also known as holy terror batman perhaps one of the worst books i've ever read it was originally a batman story yeah it was called (laughs) holy terror batman a play on Burt Ward saying. Right. And that book, I mean, we may have to get into it a little bit later, but if you've never read it, it's um it's it's batshit insane. Pardon the pun. It's Batman V Taliban. <laughs> Dawn of <laughs> Dawn of I don't even want to say because it's like I don't want to Dawn come of off Infidel. As... <laughs> yeah, it's such a weird book where these facsimiles for Batman and Catwoman. Um, it was the fixer who was the ringer for Batman. And what was her name? Natalie Stack was the, the ringer for uh, Catwoman. Yes. They're chasing each other on rooftops, you know, as they often do. And next, you know, like a nail bomb goes off. And I forget the name of the city, but it was, it was basically Gotham. It, um, it's Gotham because the cop is definitely Gordon. He had the inks done for Gordon, except that he just, like, took an eraser and erased the mustache. (laughs) No, didn't he keep the mustache in, or he took it out? Or maybe he just, like, heavily inked it. I can't remember. I can't remember, but he was definitely, (laughs) But he looked, like, slightly (laughs) tweaked. Oh, it was such a horrible book. And, you know, I try to respect Frank Miller for, you know, his classics, because I remember we did try to give him at least a benefit of the doubt by writing some pretty great stuff you know back during his prime there are books he's made that i'd say like go read this this is like this is one of the top 100 comics you'll ever read and in the medium of comics like top 100 is like that's pretty big yeah what like at least 100 comics released a week i feel like it's more than that all across the board i'm talking like indies you know from like the very indie to the most major there's got to be at least over 100 yeah and I know we had talked a little bit towards the end about how afraid we were because when we heard that Frank Miller was going to be revisiting Dark Knight series. With the title, The Master Race. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm like, oh, shit, no. Because that's right off the heels of Holy Terror and right off the heels of a very angry Frank Miller. We read all that stuff. You know, he made all those rants about Occupy and it was not a fun time. The poor history of Frank Miller. When I heard like The Master Race... One of the things I was, like, super worried about was, uh, you remember he directed The Spirit, 
and there's just like a needless Nazi shit in there. And I'm just like, this is such a bummer because the spirit's really fun. Now that's Eisner, right? Yeah, that's Eisner. But uh, if you're just looking for a more modern read on it, there's the Darwin Cook run, which is like probably the longest run he's ever done in comics. It's almost like 16 issues. And he actually writes and draws all of it. Well, I know you're a huge Darwin Cook fan. Yeah. It's Cook. It's good. <laughs> Cook. Good. End of story. <laughs> yeah, and then Frank Miller got a hold of the movie adaptation. Which, to be fair, it's part of like the saving grace of the movie is that Darwin Cook did this run right when the movie was coming out. DC's like, oh, we have the rights to the movie. Uh, let's put out like a run. Darwin Cook like stepped up the plane and just kills that series. It's so good. Yeah, but the only thing is, though, I feel like anybody who saw the movie and hated it probably really wouldn't give the movie a fair shake. And I don't get it. The, the spirit is a fun character. It's it's fun. It's supposed to be pulp and those high adventure kind of serialized detective tropes. Right. And it's supposed to be like really fun plays on that. And yet the movie was like oppressive and dark and it was like Sin City, but the guy wears a mask and a trench coat. Yeah. And like I didn't really have any problems with the stylizing, but then like there's a part where it just like turns it's like, oh, Samuel Jackson's like basically a Nazi and Blah, blah, blah. I can't. And what was the point of that? Like, I'm trying not to shit talk too much, but I don't understand what the significance or why that was necessary. I don't either. I can't even remember. It's so needlessly racist. It has, like, it has weird spots of, like, very humanistic touches. Like, after the bombs go off, he does, like, this thing where it's, like, pages upon pages of, like, faces of people. And slowly they fade out into nothing. I'm like, oh, that is cool. It's such a nice art trick. If you put that up in like a gallery, that someone would be like, that's a gorgeous thing. You could even title it like after the bombs go off or something, and like people would get that. I bet you certain people would like cry at it. It's a very touching thing in the midst of like this horrible, racist, sexist mush. Yeah, you could definitely tell he had an axe to grind with certain political figures because anybody he drew that he wasn't a fan of, like, let's say, Nancy Pelosi or Michael Moore, they're drawn like these very crude caricatures. Yeah. Almost hideously done so, like, on purpose. Yeah. Frank Miller's got this weird thing with, like, neo-fascism, which I don't know where that came from necessarily, but it seems like in his older age, he's kind of gone to a weird place. Sorks always had that slightly fascist feel. But it was always reined in and always overshadowed usually by the humanity in his work. I guess that's true. And I suppose in, like, lesser Frank Miller works, that humanity is, like, overshadowed by the fascism. I think his formula basically just flipped. What do you mean by that? Well, like, I mentioned, like, how within Holy Terror, like, it's, like, heavily fascist and all these horrible things in it. Earlier in his career, it was, his stuff was more humanistic and had those touches. Yeah, I just don't know where it went the other way. I think it was after he got mugged. Is that what happened? Yeah, I do remember reading something about that. You know what? I'm going to actually just Google that right now, only because I don't remember this. We may have touched on it earlier, but that's something that I feel like maybe I should take a look into. Because yeah. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I'm not necessarily defending some of his more dubious comic book elements, but... It's interesting to understand the person rather than to just hate on him. Right. Personally speaking, I've been very fortunate in my life that, with the exception of a couple of close calls... I've never really been necessarily the victim of any serious crime. And I'm not necessarily saying that to brag, but I'd imagine that probably changes you depending on the nature of it. I'm pulling up this article from Grantland, but yeah, he was mugged uh, several times in New York. There's a screenshot here, which it doesn't say where the book is, but I guess just reading the words. 
Keep your eyes wide open when you walk the mean streets of Manhattan. Check out every doorway, every alley, every shadowed stairwell. Don't talk to anybody and don't look up no matter how pretty the buildings are. The rotten ones. They'll think you're a tourist and maybe they'll kill you. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, shit. <laughs> when you get mugged twice, uh, <laughs> I'm not laughing at the situation. But yeah, that's probably, uh, that'll definitely change your worldview a little bit. Yeah. So, should we start talking about Dark Knight? Yes, please. Well, I was ready to hate this book. No offense. I was, like, ready to write it off. It's like, this is just going to be garbage. But I think it's at least a decent book. It is. I agree. Because, you know, coming off the, the heels of Holy Terror, and like you said, the title of the Dark Knight 3, I was scared because the Master Race, and you're thinking, oh, God, it's going to be more, you know, Nazi imagery. And I almost wonder if that was done intentionally so, just to get people talking. Like you said, I really wanted to hate it. Something happened in the book, which I guess we should say um, we're going to be spoiling it. So if you're one of the few people who hasn't read this yet and wanted to, you may want to kind of wait until after you read this before you listen. Someone's screaming that Bruce Wayne is dead. Oh, I wasn't even getting to that part yet. I was more concerned about the fact that this book starts off very much in a way that I had to be scared the first several panels is a young black teen being chased down by the police. Well, it's not like the first panels, but it's like the second page. Second page, rather. Thank you. I'm not going to lie. I got scared. I know how Frank Miller felt about, let's say, Occupy Wall Street. I was concerned about how he's going to handle, let's say, Black Lives Matter and the fact that, you know, so many unarmed black youths are being gunned down by the police. And approaching that in the context of Gotham City or in this comic. And I was just like, oh, God, here we go. He's going to do something crazy. And I'm going to have to write like a think piece on it, like on Slate.com. To be fair, if you wrote for Slate.com, it would be like three different think pieces about why it's good and why it's bad. <laughs> and why it's good that it's bad. Or why it's bad that it's good. <laughs> like, I just write every retraction to the retraction. Exactly. That's what you do for Slate.com. You just write think pieces that counteract your other think pieces. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I really think it opens really well. I just think it's a really interesting book. I think it does a lot of things right. I think Andy Kubert stepped up. I will say, the art is great on this. This looks and feels like an old Frank Miller comic. Right, before the dark times, and <laughs> it sound like Obi-Wan for a second. Yeah, Cooper really stepped up. I was, like, super impressed with him. I have mixed feelings on the Cooperts. I think Joe is a really interesting artist. He did one of my favorite stories in Wednesday Comics. But Adam and Andy, I've always been hit or miss on. And they seem to have been doing a lot of fill-in lately. They did an issue of Convergence, and I was just kind of like, oh. Like, this was really, like, had to step in, and it was work for hire. Like, clearly, they just, like, step in. We need to get this book out and on the shelves. Well, I was going to say, the Convergence run into all the issues that Secret Wars did? No, DC pushed those all out. Although, the art in that book really suffers for it. Say what you will about, like, Secret Wars being, like, continuously late. People are going to read that book a couple years from now and be like, this is an amazing book. This book is ridiculous. Like, it's that's it's a really good book. The work on his book, as far as the artwork, I really enjoyed. And I know you being an artist, that's something that you definitely pay attention more towards, whereas I lean more towards the writing, which I'll get to that. But you're right. As far as it comes to the art, it's surprisingly well done. Like, it's a nice homage to Miller. One of the problems, I think, that the second Dark Knight series runs into is that it tries to do a lot of things with the colors. And while that's neat and everything, not a lot of them work. 
There's a lot of whites, and panels bleed into the next. And there's not a lot of good coloring choices. Like, the coloring is also really weird in general in that book. But this one is a very straight coloring, but it really nails kind of what you'd think a Frank Miller book would look like. Yeah, and the layouts were also pretty impressive, too. It opens with that shot of the costume, glass shatter, costume's gone. But then it's overlaid with someone providing a small narration in the first panel. Which, can I mention something with the text conversation, though? This is why I originally wanted to hate this book, because in addition to, of course, the teenager being run down by the police, which is unfortunately too recent for me to see that and not kind of feel the way about it, the text conversation, I know people who text and use shortcuts. No one texts like that. I'm sorry, they don't. I see in him. <laughs> it's like, no one's like that. And then four reels with the four, and then it's like four effing reels. Yeah, and the part where he's like, and now he's on our letter R side. It feels out of touch. And like when you're touching on such a prevalent and recent issue, it needs to feel in the time. It not feeling in the time does it a disservice. Right. I don't think they intentionally meant it to come off as, I don't want to say offensive, but it definitely is, is in poor taste. But I think they were probably thinking, well, this is how kids probably talk and they're definitely a little, like I said, out of touch. Cooper really mimics the best parts of what made Miller's artwork, which was the page after the teens running away from the cops and the Batman intervenes. Which also one of the cool effects is um bottom panels of that page. They are like the cell phone pics. Yeah, that was a really nice touch. The Frank Miller thing of like, here's a background, and I'm going to overlay it with TV thing. And that's a good way to convey a story, but I will say that is a little outdated for 2016, considering that's Frank Miller commenting on like the 90s news cycle. <laughs> he really frames a lot of the stuff like really well. Like, if you keep going in the book, you hit the introduction of Wonder Woman. And you don't, like, fully see Wonder Woman until, like, a full page where she's, like, punching a Minotaur and you're like, fuck yeah. Before we even get into the Minotaur, I just want to point out how much I love that panel when Commissioner Yendel, like, steps out. And, like, the reporters and how they frame the, like, the shot, the angling and, like, all the microphones. The first two issues are really well paced. So I really didn't know much about the story coming in. So next thing you know, like I'm seeing people, you know, in this jungle area and I was worried because I'm like, okay, what does this have to do with anything? And then I see like, wait, is that a fucking minotaur and a centaur like in the same? <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell is this? And, you know, next, you know, I see Wonder Woman running in and I was just like, okay, that's badass. But just the way it's drawn, like... The, the fight with Wonder Woman and the Minotaur. Like, she's flipping around, she's punching this thing, and then that one shot where she's, like, kind of, like, on its back, and then you see, like, the baby that's <laughs> strapped to her back, and you're like, holy shit, she's flipping around and fighting a Minotaur, like, with a child on her back. That's dope. And it, it really kind of touches on only the end points and not how you got there. Mm-hmm. Which I think, going forward, it makes for a very excellent read, yeah. You know, I'd imagine that People who are probably reading this story may not necessarily have the extensive backstory of the first two Dark Knight books, because while they're iconic, or at least the first one is, they're definitely not recent books, or at least not the first one. Wait, wait when did the Dark Knight series come out? first one was in the 90s, and then the second one was after... Uh, it's 13 years. Okay, I mean, it's recent, but it's still kind of a while ago, all things considered. Yeah, so, I mean, it's still a pretty 
far away is removed just in case anyone's first stepping in. Like, you can read the story. Like, you'll probably be confused about certain things, like, especially when it comes to Wonder Woman and, um... Superman's daughter. Ugh, which I realized, I don't like anybody in that family. Her mom is Wonder Woman, so she's very Amazonian of, like, all the humans and the men are, like, ants beneath me and I'm all powerful. And it's like, that's an interesting play. Yeah, I love that part where she looks upon Superman, you know, obviously he's, like, encased in, was it, like, ice or crystal? And she literally just asks, like, you know, why'd you let the ants knock you from the sky? Because you know that's going to come play later. And so, like, yeah, you get the introduction to Superman. I really liked the action scenes with Batman. I love these. This is kind of, like, peak Batman, you know? Like, I, I love when he's, like you said, or, oops, um, I don't want to say he's spoiled just yet, but... I like when Batman is playing, like I said, the Dark Knight. Like, okay, he's clearly in the right in saving this kid from being gunned down by the police. Because I'd imagine that this kid probably either was completely innocent or would not have been, you know, it should not have been met with that much, like, police force. And basically just goes ape shit on the cops. And then, you know, he's in pursuit. And I know it's more Frank Miller than anything else, but it reminded me of if this were, like, let's say, the Dark Knight Rises. This should have been how the movie opened, like, especially, like, the bike scene. Oh, yeah, it should have been him against the cops. I feel like that last movie should have started like this did, where it picks up right where the other one left off, where you see the rest of that chase. Yeah, I really like those scenes. I think the art really shines in that. Yeah, it's pretty gritty. Mm, Just, like, blood everywhere. (laughs) But I don't even mean in, like, the blood, necessarily, but just in how how each panel is framed, which is very brutal angles. And you get the reveal for who's posing as Batman. I didn't see it happening at all. I really like that character. The girl, Robin. I do too, and I really, really wish that Carrie... That is Carrie Kelly, right? But then the shock of her revealing that Bruce Wayne is dead. I hate to derail it real quick, though, but she's never really been introduced into... Because what do they call her main universe now? What is that? I guess the 52, whatever the frig it's called now, like the DCU, um... But she's never really been brought into that fold, right? I think she was. Don't don't quote me on that. Next to Dick Grayson, she's my favorite Robin. Are we judging the Robins based upon their time as Robin or time after Robin? I think the character themselves, like Dick Grayson, I love, and because I guess being the original. So then that would like include his Nightwing stuff? Oh yeah, I even like him as Nightwing. Mine's Stephanie Brown. Stephanie Brown's the bomb. Now, Stephanie Brown, I know she was Batgirl, but was she ever Robin at one point? She was. She was the one who started the gang war. Wait, how did I miss this? And wait, which book is this? 90s, early 2000s. Because I remember her as Batgirl, but for some reason I missed the Robin era. It was very short. She met an end. That was not nice. (laughs) Um... Oh, Carrie Kelly made her first appearance in the main DC Universe in the New 52's Batman and Robin issue 19. She is a college student and Damian Wayne's acting instructor. Wow. Didn't see that one coming. You also have the mini-comic. What did you think of that? Uh, you know, I'm not gonna lie. As much as I kind of like the Adam, like, I have nothing against the character. I think he's pretty interesting. This part of the story, to me, I just wasn't as excited with. Yeah. Like, I know it's all important and it's building up towards a larger universe that they're setting up here. Parts of me kind of liked it. I thought it was very interesting to have this kind of filler bit in the middle to kind of fill you in. Because I felt like it's just like add stuff without taking away from the pacing of the main story. Right. And they're smart for not putting it within the story. But I still feel like it's one of those kind of letdowns. But at the same time, I do appreciate the fact that they could have split this up into like all these other, you know, tie in books and things like that, which I'm glad they didn't do. 
they treat it as an event, but they treat it as its own event. Right, and no matter how good they are, it's still a lot to take in. And as someone who read a good chunk of Secret Wars, there was a point where I, I reached my limit and I was like, you know, I don't care how good this story is. I'm now starting to kind of hit my stride here. The cover to the mini comic it looks like dog shit. <laughs> it's not great, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I wonder now, because I, I know that Frank Miller's health is not great these days, mm-hmm. but you also have to wonder, was he intentionally left out of this? Like, is this one of those situations where people do acknowledge the fact that Frank Miller made this great work, but maybe they also realize, hey, maybe he's not necessarily the best to tell it anymore? What would you give issue one? As someone who really had very little in a way of expectations other than just outright fear of what it could be. I'll give it, let's say maybe a six. Yeah, that's a six. I think it's a good read. You, you could do a lot worse. Yeah. Like I was interested. I definitely wanted to know what was going to happen, but I was at no point was I at the edge of my seat or like, you know, wanting to go to comics, Twitter and be like, guys, guys, guys. It's health that, uh, there's no like surprise. I felt no surprise of like, that it really only needed to be good. Cause I was expecting it to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I know exactly what you mean by that. Like a seven instead of a four. In a world, or especially in an industry where comics can easily go wrong, and they often do, sometimes I'm okay with a book that's just very middle ground. Like, okay, it held my interest. I was entertained for as long as I've read it, and that's that. Like, I don't think that's necessarily always a bad thing. Not every book needs to be like a earth-shattering book. Comic books can just be entertaining, and a lot of the times, those are some of my favorite, and I'm glad I went for this. Do you want to talk about issue two? You know, I really don't have much to say about issue two. I know some characters from DC, like, at least from a few major comics, and then, like, Justice League Unlimited and stuff like that, like, the animated stuff. I'm not too well-versed in, like, the ins and outs of the entirety of the DC universe, And thankfully, I've been talking to a lot of people lately who are much better versed at it than I am. Yeah. So issue two kind of lost me a little bit because it started to get very deep into the mythology. And I'm not going to lie, I felt a little bit lost. So I didn't enjoy it as much as I did issue one. I thought it was just as good as the first. In fact, I kind of liked it better. I thought there was a bit more interesting things. The bits with the atom and the tiny city kind of lost you, I bet, right? A little bit, yeah. So uh, it's Kandor. It's a Kryptonian city that was made small. For some reason, Superman has it. Because there's, like, all these tiny little Kryptonians. I could have sworn there was something in, like, DC where they either tried to rebuild or there was another Krypton or something like that. I forget. Yeah, I do remember hearing that one. But I thought it was good. I really like that Carrie Kelly, like, really kind of the star of this issue. Yeah, I definitely like the interrogation scene. That, to me, was a lot of fun. She's just a really fun character to see. No one's, like, stepped up to the plate and be like, I really want to include her in my comic. Oh, I could definitely see Azarello and, like, maybe Chang teaming up again to do, like, a Carrie Kelly book. And I really kind of like how it played to its strengths. It seemed to realize that Carrie Kelly's the strongest character here, and you want to see Carrie Kelly be bad as shit. <laughs> and her escape, and she's just, like, smiling, and you're just like, yeah, this is what I kind of want. I don't think I would have appreciated this if this was another book of, let's say, Dark Knight Returns level Batman, you know, punching and kicking and cursing again. It's not down to earth, but it's much more in line with, like, what else is going on with everyone else? Yes, exactly. Like, it shows you this is what's going on since we last saw them. 
It's an interesting move to be like, in your first issue, Superman is frozen in ice, and Batman is also dead. <laughs> but I like that. I, I like that too, but it's just like an interesting move. There are like shit tons of like retailer variants. Like they pushed this book hard. Yes, they did. Oh my God. Yes, they did. I would be interested in actually kind of maybe going back and looking at the special editions they released, but those just seem so weird. Wait, what do you mean special editions? What were they just different covers? They're like bound book form, not like comic book. So like hardcover and they're doing it for each issue. I don't know if I would do that. Not for this story. Like, I wouldn't go on my way to buy one. Like, if it were, like, Crisis on Infinite Earths or, like, this really big story, I think I would definitely be on board. But for this, I'm like, eh, I don't know if I want to invest all that. I think Rizzo was a great choice for the Wonder Woman mini-comic. The Wonder Woman mini-comic was a lot of fun. I did like that a lot. Yeah, because the first ones were drawn by Miller, and I was kind of like, eh, okay. Like I said, that covers horseshit. <laughs> Mini comic with art by Rizzo is really neat, and I think what would have been really neat is if they like, gathered together these artists and kind of did these mini comics. It would be a really neat homage. Rizzo stuff looks very Frank Millery, which is why I really think the Roman comic works. But the overall storyline with Candor rising up, you know, I'm not really all that invested because I don't feel like the stakes are all that high. I think the stakes seem a bit too high. They Like, that city of Kandor people just seem like they're just going to wipe everyone off the earth immediately. Because they're all Kryptonians. I know they're all Kryptonians. I didn't realize they all had the same abilities. Well, yeah. At least I believe so. I thought maybe there'd be, like, some normal ones who were, like, male clerks or something. Well, when you're all Superman, someone has to be the male clerks. It's like the Monty Python skit where, like, they're amazed that someone knows how to repair a bicycle. And they're all Superman, and they're just like, Bicycle repairman! <laughs> I think this book, if it continues at this pace and this quality level, I think it'll be good. But I hope that the overall concept of the story with, like, Kandor doesn't overshadow what I think was a really cool setup. Because even though it's very high concept, it still felt very human. But by the time you got to the end of the first half of the second issue, I felt like now I'm reading, like, more of a typical superhero book. I was a little disappointed by that, I'm not gonna lie. But at the same time, it's not enough that it was like, you know, day ruining and I'm not, you know, definitely not going to put it down, but I'll probably check out the next issue when um, it comes out. I think I'm going to read the whole series. I am also a fan of the prestige format of comics. I wish um, Marvel and DC did more of that. Yeah, I do agree. I'm willing to pay like extra couple bucks for that because I think that's really neat. So that's two issues and I'm pretty sure the third comes out this month. Now, before we go... I feel like you did want to mention the Frank Miller involvement. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, what do you think his involvement on this book is? I think I kind of hinted at it before when I said that I really do believe that as an industry, people acknowledge that Frank Miller was very influential for the things he did. But at the same time, I really do feel that there's a part of them that are like, okay, we kind of know what Frank Miller's like now. And maybe it's best that we have someone on hand to co-write because if left to his own devices, he can get very weird. And I do appreciate the fact that someone who I do like, as like I said, Azarello, who um, my girlfriend's been reading the, um, the Azarello Chang run of Wonder Woman, which I'm really into. And I'm glad that it's someone that I think I trust a little bit to write this with him. Like you said, it takes elements of Miller in terms of how the story is unfolding and how the art's going. But yet... It's handled by a team that is a lot more equipped to handle it than Frank Miller himself. 
I personally think it was intentional that they kind of kept his involvement to a minimum. Like it carries his name. And like I said, people hear that name and you're like, holy shit, like it's Frank Miller. I got to check this out. But it's not really Frank Miller. Yeah. You know what this is like? Maybe not to the same degree, but this reminds me of, let's say, Star Wars Episode Seven, where it's like, okay, we acknowledge that George Lucas made this great thing, but... It's someone else doing a riff on you. Yes. <laughs> Frank Miller has kind of said, like, he didn't have that much involvement in this. Now, was that by choice? That it was really Azarello? Like, he's the only kind of, like, alluded to it in interviews. And my take on it was that it was kind of like... I guess kind of like the before Watchmen thing where they were like, man, wouldn't it be nice to have someone like fooling around with these characters? Like these are notable versions of these characters and we don't really have much going on with that. Right. So let's hand someone or maybe like Azrael came to them and said, I'd like to write a Dark Knight 3. And they were like, yeah, sure. And they kind of like talked Frank Miller into kind of just being on board. He's said that he's working on a fourth volume. Oh, no. Oh no. <laughs> I'm no. sorry. <laughs> no, that's that's not true. That's impossible. Such your feelings. You know it to be true. No, no. There's also supposed to be a mini series coming out soon that ties into this. That's a prequel. That's how it kind of tells the story of the Batman and the Joker. Now, is that also written by Frank Miller or is that another fill in? I think that one's also Azarello and Miller. Okay, so you know what then? I'm not worried about that then. I think as long as Azarello is on board, I'll probably read this because I think if it weren't for him, I would not have checked this out. Yeah, but apparently he's making like a fourth one and like he's really made it seem like it wasn't his choice to revisit this. That these other people want to revisit this. Uh, this maybe rekindled something within him. Oh, so this is like George Lucas, because now that this is out and yeah. it's doing well, now he's looking back and regretting the fact that he's not involved as much. Yeah. <laughs> Holy terror, too. <laughs> oh, God. It'll be something like the Trinity comes back and they battle ISIS or some craziness. Scott Snyder was supposed to be in on Dark Knight 3. Really? Snyder's interview with Newsarama about his early involvement with Dark Knight 3. I was invited to be part of Dark Knight 3 pretty early on, Snyder said. Me, Brian Frank, and a couple of artists. Now, Brian Frank had a real rapport from their history together. Also, the work was extremely intense, and that required going to Frank's studio and talking to him daily about it. Uh, he just kind of dropped out having kids and stuff. Yeah, because um, I know he's ending his run of Batman with uh, Capullo, which is going to be kind of hard. I haven't really read a lot of Batman, but I did read some of Snyder's stuff, and it's, it's pretty dope. Capullo's art, sometimes at first glance, turns me off. It's a lot like Spawn, which is because he drew Spawn for a while, but like... I'm just not a fan of that Todd McFarlane kind of style, generally. But Capullo stepped up to play on that book in terms of art. And Snyder's done a great job of really keeping that book grounded. He he made me start buying a Batman comic, which is something I wasn't doing for a long time. And I'm a yeah. big Batman fan. I got another bit here. At one of the New York Comic Con panels, uh, Miller said, This is not my conception, this is Brian's. Oh. Yeah. So it really makes me think it's more of like the before Watchmen thing where uh, they were like, like kind of handed it off to other people. But obviously they kept his name on it just kind of more out of respect and as a formality. Yeah. But you know what? I'm fine with that because to tell you the truth, I don't mind the Dark Knight Returns universe. It's really nice seeing it reined in. Two definitely suffers from that, being too out there. And it's nice getting a what is seeming to be a solid A, B, 
see story. Yeah. Which I appreciate. So yeah, do you think we'll ever see this fourth volume? Considering how Frank Miller's, like, I know he's been having a hard time lately. I'd be shocked if he actually does it. But I think, in a way, if Frank Miller were smart, I think he would let this go. Like, if he wants to create, like, another story, maybe. But I, I'm starting to wonder, and it's, I hate to say this because it's hard to say this about certain people, but I think overall, again, I keep saying it, I keep saying it, I can't take away the great things he's done for the comic book industry, especially at a time when people, I think, in a way, sort of started to turn away from comics and didn't realize that you can tell the stories like he was telling at the time in which he did. Mm -hmm. But I'm starting to think that his time has, in a way, passed. We've kind of grown out of that a little bit. Although, if, if it's anything, it's DC will constantly be like, you guys remember the past, right? We're going to do <laughs> Neil Adams' variant. <laughs> and then we're going to put out a Neil Adams' Superman book, which is like titled Superman, The Coming of Superman or something dumb like that. I dig Neil Adams' artwork. I mean, but Batman Odyssey was a very odd book. But that's a, that's a whole other episode right there. The skill is still there. There's just been no evolution in his style since the 80s and 90s. Like, fair enough, that is when he was at his most popular. Seeing it in a book now, I can't help but imagine other artists doing a better job on it, like, and just doing something more visually interesting with an actual miniseries. Yeah, it's tough, though. I hate to sound yeah. like that guy who's like, you know, shut up, Gramps. You know, this is the new, this is the now. You're a dinosaur. There's still, like, a place for him, but just, like, I don't want to see something that looks outdated. I want to see something that's going to grab me and be like, wow. Like this book, like Cooper's art, like grabbed me. I was like, wow, like, way to step up to the plate, Cooper. Yeah, like on artwork, definitely. I'm even thinking just in terms of writing. I, you know what it is? I don't want to see Frank Miller work out his personal demons on his books as much anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I know that's hard because as someone who's a writer, I understand it's a very personal thing and you end up spilling into your work, but he's got to find a way to just to turn because it's getting very off putting. You know, it's kind of like being at dinner with like that racist older relative that, you you know, you're like, all right, grandpa, we get it. The, the, the black people steal. All right, let's pass you the mashed potatoes. You know, it's very it's just very off putting now. Yeah, I try not to rag on him, but it's just I can't deal with that. So if he wants to do like a Dark Knight four or whatever, Rock on. If he can do it, and if he has the ability to, you know, I, who's to tell him no? But he's got to find a way to rein in some of the extra stuff because it's getting harder to read that. And I feel like comic, you can, you know, convey a message in comic books, but not one that's as hateful. Yeah. So I got a question for you. What is your favorite iteration of Batman? Like, what is your what is your favorite like? creative team of it now we're talking comic books right strictly comics not cartoons or anything no go for cartoons if that's the case if we're gonna do like any format it's gotta be you know bruce tim's animated series from yeah. the, the 90s that's fine too it's like that i really enjoy sales and lobes batman which is very much also in that vein of the cartoons i also really enjoy cooks i i really do enjoy snyder's though I think Snyder did a really good job of giving that Batman an edge, more so than I think some of the writers do. Like, given a hard task of, like, oh, we're rebooting all the DC, like, here you go, make it more edgy. And he really gave that Batman an edge. And didn't do it where it was, like, overly edgy. It was very slight. Yes. In, in a way that you really appreciate and be like, this is good. Good book is good. <laughs> but yeah, the animated series... 
I can't tell you how many times, like, on Sunday nights when it aired, like, we'd watch it with all the lights off, the, the blinds shut. Like, we watched that show in complete darkness, and, like, you felt like you were in Gotham City, and when Batman would, like, swoop down, I would jump, and I'm like, oh, shit, like, stop doing crime, this man's gonna kill you. I like gorgeous map paintings. This series really has a feel. And it holds up really well. Like, I was just watching mm-hmm. some a couple weeks ago, because it's on um, Amazon Prime Video, whatever, and, like... Oh, well, I, I'm Canadian. Oh, crap, that's right. Do you guys have, like, the equivalent of that, or... No. <laughs> we have Netflix. You guys got Netflix? We have Netflix. <laughs> yeah, have you heard about ne- this thing? It's called Netflix. <laughs> Pretty good, in my opinion. David Aiden, if Ted Cruz or Trump ends up in a White House, I may be, like, your roommate, so you better, you know, tell your uh, tell Trudeau up there to give me some Amazon so I can finish watching Batman, because I'm too cheap to buy the DVDs. Well, you're American. You'll have all the fancy American dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Considering the markup on our comics right now is like the exchange rate's like close to forty two. Are you kidding me? Nope. Oh my god, the shipping rates must suck when sending you stuff. Shipping rates in general are bad because Canada sucks. But buying comics has been hard, real hard. Oh man, this is not good news. I, I definitely like when you guys like recommend stuff. Like, go out and buy it. I I, I just have gotten in the habit of just like I just can't. I can't. I can't. Now, do like, you I like? Literally can't. Like someone else in our group, J Dot. She gets so many books, and I'm very jealous of her because I want to get that many books, but like I can't. I can't. <laughs> Otherwise, I would be broke. Now, I wonder though, because I know a couple of mail order places. I wouldn't do mail order. I like going to my store. Okay. I, I, I go there every Wednesday. It's Galaxy Comics. Check it out if you're in town. I like going there. I go there. I hang out with those guys like an hour every Wednesday. It's nice. I like it. I enjoy it. That's why I do Wednesdays. And I, w- I wouldn't change that for the world. And that's part of why I like comics. Aiden, thank you so much, man. I'm so glad we're able to do this. Do you, I don't know if you have anything you want to plug or hype you up. You can find me at, at Pulp Comics, uh, capital P, capital C, underscore in the middle, uh, on Twitter. I have Instagram, but there's nothing important there. <laughs> yeah, and that's where you can find me. You can read my bad opinions and occasionally see uh, art I post. Now, your art's been getting, like, dope. Like, I mean, not that your art wasn't good before, but you've really, like... Improved? I know. I bought these sketchbooks last year, and I was like, oh, I'm just going to try and draw on these. It just kind of kept going, and I don't know. I've really improved. It's nice to be able to feed that creative part of you. Oh, believe me. In a world where everything tells you not to, this is going to sound corny as shit, but I do, like, I am such a fan of anybody who can either draw or write. Like, going to cons, like, I've I've become that guy who's like, I'm like high-fiving everybody. I'll tell you the secret of drawing. It's kind of a scam. All you really need to do is invest time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like literally like, you just Im- gotta keep doing it and you'll improve and they're right and that's the dumbest thing and half finished things are just like yeah go and like it, it really does improve you and hopefully i'll be able to start 2016 i'll be able to like actually crank out covers a lot more is that a case of then do you where you decide to then maybe work on your own personal comics or maybe work for another company or oh, I, don't, I don't work for a company this is all just me doing it personally so when you're listening to this three years in the future, go check out my comic. You can probably find me at, at Pulp Comics, capital P <laughs> underscore capital C. There should be a link in the bio, but, but you got to check back in like three years. 
<laughs> and by then we'll be it won't like be there yet. <laughs> we'll be talking about like Dark Knight Seven because they'll just crank them out <laughs> at that Knight point. Dark Knight Seven, Frank Miller's like still chugging along. You're like, how are you not dead yet? <laughs> <laughs> It'll be like, um, what was it? Um, oh, what movie was that where he'll basically be like in his cryo tube? Marathon Man. No, not Marathon Man. Run. No, not Running Man. Demolition Man. Yeah, kind of that thing where they'll just they will freeze himself. All the man movies. Marathon Man. No. Running Man. No. Uh, man Man. <laughs> like they'll just he just thaws himself out like every couple of years just to do it on the Dark Knight. I live. <laughs> the crowd too, but he's like he punches a hole through it and he's like I have returned, and it's like dude, and his the scientist is like dude, if you keep breaking these, you know these things are very hard to repair. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, that'll do it for another episode of Adrian Has Issues, and we'll see you next issue. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm His Issues. Wait, what? Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm... Wait, wait, that's not right. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm Eileen. Tune in to the Adrian Has Issues podcast. Each week we chat with some great people. Including me from time to time. Comic book creators, comedians. Musicians and actors. Tax collectors, Zamboni drivers. (sighs) Point is, basically anyone willing to sit down for a geeky discussion or two on all things pop culture. Visit AdrianHasIssues.com where you can download and stream every episode. Especially the ones featuring yours truly. Visit Adrian Has Issues on Facebook and Twitter. And subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Please leave a rating and review and tell me how amazing I am. Us. I mean us. Ah, oh, McKenna, you're way cooler than I am anyway. Aw, oh, thanks, babe. Oh, and Adrian Has Issues is also a proud member of the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. Awesome. Nice save, Brodor. <sighs> Visit AdrianHasIssues.com.